0: Hey, this is Mike. Hey, this is Kaz, and you are listening to Two Roke Watch Snobs, the only watch podcast that's part of an industrially balanced breakfast. You have made it all the way to episode 249. Michael, hello. Hello, we have a guest. We do have a guest. We <laughs>
1: should be polite and we should introduce our guest. Uh, today, we have the pleasure of talking to TJ Watch Guy, um, and we're going to talk about pilot watches and here. Specifically, from the context of his his very professional background, uh, TJ, why don't you say hi?
2: Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm excited. Yeah, it's
1: yeah really. Super
0: cool. You know, uh, well, uh, do do we want to go into the, just TJ's background a little bit, or do you want to do wrist checks? And just because the whole the whole onus, the whole uh, the point of this episode is going to be pilot watches. Yeah, we're gonna talk about pilot watches,
1: um, <laughs> and uh, I think I we're gonna get some good insight, um, you know, because I had the pleasure of talking to TJ before, and we just we really were just gonna do a, a, te- a technology check before recording, but we ended up talking about pilot watches for a really long time and uh, came up with some good questions and topics that I think we can uh, we can run through, but uh, we should honor tradition, Kaz. We should go through a kind of round table wrist check. Uh we can talk about the watches that we're wearing today and um in honor of our guests, we can start with you TJ and just talk about the watch on your wrist right now and uh anything All right. you want to tell the people about.
2: Yeah, I'll just quickly introduce myself because the wrist check is is closely related. Um so uh, I just retired last September from from the Navy. I uh, was a flyer for 25 years and um Ended my tour in Corpus Christi, moved to Florida. Uh, so my retirement is still fresh and recent. Um, mm-hmm. my, my background is as a Naval Flight Officer, so think Goose rather than Maverick. Nice. Um, and I'm glad that there's a new movie out so that I can continue to let people know what I was doing. <laughs> um, but uh, I absolutely loved it. It was a dream for me uh, since I was a little guy. And um, it's actually shocking that the that it's over, but I'm looking back with nothing but gratitude. So. The wrist check uh, is my grail that I got to celebrate my retirement. Uh, so big thanks to my wife for agreeing to the purchase. It's an IWC tribute to Mark 11. So it's a Mark wow. 18 tribute to Mark 11. And I have it, despite the fact that it wasn't released on it, I, I got it on an IWC, IWC bracelet that's just got the best ratcheting mechanism Beautiful. I, I, you could think of. And um, it's uh it's just wonderful. I've not fallen out of love with it. I've been wearing it for about a year. I got it um, on Chrono 24 use cause they're not made anymore. And, uh, it's just, it's fantastic. Uh, I always look at it with, uh, you know, a mix of love for the watch and love for what it represents.
1: Yeah, those are getting tough to find. And, uh, I love the sizing on that. I, I think when I saw it on your account, I hadn't seen anybody else put it on a bracelet and it looks, it looks really good. And it has those, those Mark 11 hands that are just, uh, I think they look way better.
2: Yeah, I prefer the RAF style over the traditional Luftwaffe style, I guess you'd call it, that uh, mm. other uh, marks have. Yeah, to me, the RAF really nailed it. And, uh, and that's something I'll, I'd like to address later, but is the, the fact that someone in the Ministry of Defense sat down with pen and paper and, and drew this out to create something for air crews. Uh, it's the deliberate aspect of making it for flying is really part of why it's special to me.
0: Very cool. Nice. How about you, Kez? Uh, I'm wearing an oldie but a goodie who hasn't seen the light of day in a long time. Pun intended. I'm wearing my orange Christmas chrono, <laughs> cause the battery was dying on it. My poor little solar <laughs> solar chronograph battery was dying. It was doing the the double tick. You know what I'm talking about when the solar battery starts to starts to croak on you. It did a little um, double tick on the seconds. So. Did you
1: feel you feel you felt like negligent on your part? <laughs>
0: I certainly felt like I left like I left like my cat locked in the bathroom and went on vacation like, ah, geez, (laughs) you know what I mean? And then come back and like, it's fine, but it's just not doing well. And so I got I was able to get some sun and I love this thing. Why, Why don't I wear this every day, Michael? Well, thankfully, you're
1: in Florida and you can show it some good sunlight.
0: 300 plus days. If you're yeah. lucky, but yeah, no, that's 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 what I'm wearing. I'll keep my wrist check short for uh, for a change, just so we have plenty of time to chat with TJ. But what are you what are you wearing, man?
1: Uh, for this episode, I thought it'd be cool to wear the Marathon Pilot Navigator. There you uh, go. It's it's a, it's a watch I also saw in TJ's feed and thought, wow, that thing is actually being put to good use. <laughs> so I,
0: I I almost wore the only pilotish watch I have, but it just I just. I haven't worn it in so long. I still, you know, I still have my Paul 3133. Oh yeah, you do. I didn't wow. wear, it. I don't know. I should have like, but now I just feel out of place. <laughs> yeah, you still, you still got to have to service that thing too. Yeah. That's going to be an interesting journey. Trying to service that, but that's cool. Good round of yeah, watches though. But yeah, yeah but the, this just, is a,
1: oh, yeah. I, I was just going to say, this is the gen two. It's like the, uh, the one with the sapphire crystal and the, the steel crown came out recently I so love this cool
2: thing. yeah i have one sitting on the desk right in front of me because i love these things
1: yep
0: sorry kaz i interrupted you oh no no no! i was just gonna um i was just gonna say tj i mean I, I it must be an incredible feeling to get the grill and to have that like feeling do you have that feeling of oneness do you know what i mean
2: yeah it uh it's so, I mean, I've, I've had other watches before that I really loved, and then, you yeah. know, you go through the honeymoon phase, and, and so, in some sense, I thought maybe the grail idea is, is a dream in and of itself, but I, I realized uh, that it can really happen, and I guess most of us, when you encounter other enthusiasts, they haven't really found their grail yet, yeah. and when they do, they, they realize a year later that it wasn't it, um, but I, I guess I can give people hope that uh, the right watch is out there, because... Uh, yeah, this one, I, I feel complete. I don't feel compelled to find something else. It's changed how I engage with watches. And, and right now, really, my focus is is the quartz beater side of things and just finding something that, that I'm really happy working on things with and, and taking to the places where you don't take your nice watch.
0: That's what I was going to ask. Is that your everyday watch? It, 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 it sounds like not really or like not but, depending on what you're doing.
2: I wear it every day and it only comes off if I'm going to swim in the ocean or mm. uh, do some manual labor, digging or whatever, weeding. Uh, but even then, half the time, I'll just leave it on for that. But um, I, I try to take care of it. It's already pretty dinged up. But mm. I, mean, I wear it to bed. I, I, you know, I wear it 90% of the time. But when I work out or, or do something you know, where I'm putting gloves on and grabbing tools, then I'll probably put the, the Navigator on.
0: That's fair. That's cool, man.
2: Congrats on that piece. That's uh, wonderful. Thank you.
0: But yeah, Mike, how do you, how do you want to do this, man? I think uh, we can start with uh, a favorite
1: question of ours that we, you know, we go through this with every guest and you're actually our first guest in a long time. All right. <laughs> so um, excited to be doing this again. And we just, we basically ask, uh, how did you get into watches just in general? Was it something early on in your life or, or later after your, you know, you got deep into your profession? How does, how does that story look like?
2: yeah for me it was when I was already in my profession because my first uh, squadron tour I wore a Timex digital uh that was 2003 invasion of Iraq and it did just fine it was you know everything you'd want and I didn't even think about uh think about yeah. it from uh the kind of perspective I have right. now or uh but you know I, I started seeing that uh, the air wing did a watch by it was the Omega X-33 so it was put out to all the squadrons in the air wing uh I was on the carrier Abraham Lincoln so you talking about eight squadrons plus the, the COD squadron that brings stuff on board. So it's a lot – it's a pool of people, but you had to meet a requirement. And I, I passed on that. Um, uh, maybe I regretted it later on, but it was the uh, analog digital Omega X-33. It was pretty sweet. And they got it engraved with the air wing logo on the back. Um, I had people in the squadron that had Breitling aerospace watches. And you know at that point, I was just really looking at it purely functional uh, and thinking that the analog digital was quite useful – um, but I, I passed on, on getting anything at that point. And, and then when I went to my instructor tour, we had an RAF tornado navigator as an exchange officer, Smithy super guy. And he had the RAF issue, the gen two Quartz uh, chronograph. Mm-hmm. And it just looks so cool. It was, you know, I just, that was the first time I had love at first sight with a watch because it just seemed to, I don't know, it was a bit old school, but it was just, it was just powerful it just looked like the business it it's you know if you want to have a watch that was designed to look like you're you're a navigator that was it for me uh and um i ended up doing a little exchange visit to the uk with him with some other officers and got to fly in raf hawks and stuff and i was just like smithy how do i get one of these you know and unfortunately they were issue only and um i've always had my eye on that particular model but the older they get the more i'm nervous about picking one up used but but that's what got me thinking that I wanted something that c- captured how passionate I am about my profession, that I wanted something like that on my wrist. But of course it still has to perform, you know, and it so that's right. a tough that's a tough uh set of criteria, but that's kind of how I went into it.
1: And the one that you saw on his wrist, that was the the Seiko chronograph that they had?
2: Yeah, the Gen 2. There was a Gen 1, early one and then the Gen 2, and the difference is the Gen 2 had the Arabic numerals for the hours.
1: Yeah. Those are so nice and they are, they are getting very pricey.
2: (laughs) Yeah. fixed spring bars. I'd worry now whether if you bought one, how long it would work. Uh, but there's plenty of them to be found probably about a thousand dollars. Maybe if I get richer, I'll, I'll grab one, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, how'd you, how'd you, um, I guess this is just selfish for me because I'm I like to know, how'd you get into flying? Is that something that you also took on from a young age? And, you know, how did that lead you into, you know, flying the the Prowler and the Growler?
2: Um, yeah, so I, I was a kid and just, you know, Top Gun, Iron Eagle, all that stuff, and just thought it was super cool. We lived, uh, I think, on a low-level approach path or an airport approach path. I would see F-16s from McDill flying overhead. And just the more I looked into that stuff, the more I I wanted to do it. And so I think it's about seventh grade that I really decided that uh, that's that's my destiny. And I, in fact, I told my karate teacher that's my destiny, and he remembered me saying that. Nice. Um, and uh, I just set my mind to it. You know, I did. Um, I just worked real hard in high school. I got accepted to the Naval Academy, and. I don't know even how kids back then found stuff cuz there was no like googling or anything you just you know uh but my brother had older brother was interested in going in the army and that had applied to West Point so you know I think I got some advice on how to find whatever and guidance counselors and pamphlets um and ended up going there but the whole the whole time you know I knew that that's what I wanted to do and I didn't have 2020 vision I was corrected to 2020 and and back then uh, you couldn't get the surgery and just be approved. So I knew from the get-go that I was going to be a backseater type, uh, but I didn't mind that. I read Flight of the Intruder and just thought like, this is awesome, this aircraft. I want to be in, you know, side by side doing this kind of stuff. And uh, I saw a formation of intruders flew over our swearing in uh, when we took the oath at the Naval Academy at the start of my four years there. And uh, they were decommissioned ha- shortly thereafter. So I when I went to flight school, I, I chose the EA-6B because it's a close cousin, a uh, derivative of the A-6 Intruder, and, and also it's it was a platform where the non-pilot aircrew were influential and, and respected, um, didn't feel like second class, and so I thought it'd be rewarding, and it really was.
1: Yeah, those are cool. So there, there are four-seaters, and you're you were telling me that you sit side by side.
2: On yeah it's front. like a minivan and uh <laughs> as the the pilot's always the pilot obviously in front left but we would take turns flying up front where you're you've got the radar you've got the missile control comm jammer and and you're basically you're kind of the mission quarterback and then in the back you're fully into the equipment in fact you can't really see in front of you in the back of a prowler you you're just looking at the stack of receiver controls jammer controls screens and and you're you're pretty busy Processing the spectrum, if you will. Um, And so, yeah, we would basically a third of the time you'd be up front, and two thirds of the time you'd you'd sit in back.
1: And then you transition to the Growler, which is kind of a souped up uh, Super Hornet.
2: Yep, it's a Baroness Super Hornet. I did my transition pretty late. Um, In fact, I was commander of the last Prowler squadron and then brought them home from deployment, started the transition. Because I was leaving shortly, they gave me and a few others uh, a very brief transition. But you know, basically, the basic qualifications in the aircraft, basic check ride, and kind of off you go there. So, you know, I never employed with it, and you know, I never deployed with it. But I got a few flights out on the carrier with it uh, in my next assignment, and it really made me feel like a kid at Christmas to to be in something so advanced. And what's well, one of the interesting things is that the Prowler actually had tons of timing instruments in it. It was just upgraded over time from some pretty crude avionics and navigation systems, and one of the things it had was tons of digital timers you could easily access, plus mechanical eight-day clocks, analog clocks uh, in the cockpit. Uh, There were three of those, two up front, one for each front seater, and one in the back shared. So, you know, you didn't have to time things off your wrist in that, but the growler is so digitized that as a backseater, I'm sharing one one system clock with the pilot, which is kept on UTC. Um, so actually all my growler flights, I carried an analog chronograph um, so that I could time things. Not that I needed to very often, but there's just certain emergency procedures that I'd want to do that for. And, and so I kind of went back in time, pun intended, with what I was wearing uh, to make sure that I, I, you know, and it was just kind of me and the way I was trained probably didn't need it, but something that I said I'm not I'm not going to go do my check ride without this. Nice.
1: Yeah, it's uh I think a lot of the brands today they romanticize uh how watches are used in the cockpit for different applications and uh during our last chat you mentioned things I, I didn't really think about emergency procedures uh and and what that would look like how you might use uh, an analog uh watch in specific situations. You even mentioned where I think it was, you're not necessarily looking at the exact time, uh, but you might, you might try to get an idea of where the minute hand is, for example, and in your head, tie that to like a specific event in the procedure.
2: Um, Yeah. 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 So I can go into a little detail there. The, the, what you're referring to there is uh, engine start. So um, in the prowler where we pilot in the front seat or had their own eight day clock, we would start engines with a hack of the of the stopwatch and then essentially there are starting limits of certain events happening in the start cycle relative to a previous event or within a certain time limit and if any of those are out of limits then you need to shut the engine down because something's wrong um and so you're paying attention to the cycle and and so in your head you're marking as you see for example uh the, the pilot puts the throttle around um To introduce fuel, then there's a time limit for how long that takes for the engine to light off and the RPM to start increasing. And so, boom. And then you know you watch that. Okay, we made that mark, and you're really doing that off of that analog hand. And you're used to seeing it. You know, let's say around 4:30 on the clock. And so over time, that's just muscle memory and visual memory of yep. Every time it hits about there is when the light off occurs. And then once light off has happened. Now you're starting another limitation of oil pressure it must rise within this many seconds of the light off so then you're watching that and so you just basically sort of memorize where that hand is right when that light off occurs and then you know that you know uh, the exact opposite side of the dial if it's not if the oil pressure hasn't achieved its limit by then then I need to shut the engine down and so it's uh it's just a it's a thing that would be hard to do visually if it was just a digital readout um The Air Force did a study on digital watches for navigation purposes, like late 70s, I think. And they said, yeah, this is superior because it's giving you this concrete number. But there is a penalty when you go to pure digital that you lose that sweep, you know, that visual sweep. Um, And, you know, if you look at a lot of glass cockpits today, a lot of the engine instruments are displayed on that dial with an analog graphic. Hmm. And I think that kind of goes to to show that, you know, we 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 respond to the position of needles, especially if you have a two two engines, and you can see that one needle doesn't match the other. It quickly grabs your eye. Uh, for time, same thing. Um, there, there's a power to analog, you know, and digital is you is better for math. So if you're um, if you just shot a missile and you have a time of flight on there, you know. To do the quick math of okay, well the impact time should be this. I wouldn't want to look at an analog dial for that. I'd want to see the number digitally and add the number that the computer told me and uh, and do that. Of course, more and more sophisticated aircraft. I've I've transitioned from, you know, with each new one, it it does so much of the math for you that as a naval flight officer today, you're not really a navigator anymore. You're a weapons officer, um, and so you know that's that's sort of the the flip side of all of it is that the the more sophisticated the aircraft are, the more the pilot watch has become less and less needed. And so you'll see more variation of what folks are carrying because it really doesn't matter as long as it meets some basic criteria. Yeah.
1: I live, uh, not too far from, from JBLM here in Tacoma. And, you know, naturally there are a ton of C-17 pilots out here. Uh, a lot of actually C-17 pilots that are now commercial pilots and, uh, befriended some of them. And I think all of them have Apple watches. (laughs) They just, they wear the Apple watch uh, in the field anytime they're training or, or on mission. Um, And yeah, I guess that's, that's that diver. I don't know if it's less relevant now, the, the pilot watch, but like you said, you're seeing a greater diversity in the watches worn uh, in the cockpit as the aircraft gets more and more sophisticated.
2: Yeah. And you won't see a lot of Apple watches among tactical crews because, you can't bring them into secret planning. Mm -hmm. So any space where you're doing mission planning is going to be like cleared secret or even higher. And because the Apple watch is also a phone and it has two way communications, you, you, you'd have to take it off. So there is a value to not having something that's super connected. Because if you're in mission planning, I would feel naked taking my watch off because really as an aviator is going to use their watch more in planning and and you know briefing than they are in the cockpit itself because mm-hmm. the aircraft tells you so many things. So Apple Watch, yeah, I think you'll you'll see it um, at, on the wrists of instructors in training schools where they're not necessarily doing a lot of classified stuff. It's basics, and you'll see it on airline pilots and stuff. But you know, tactical air crews, like on a carrier or a fighter squadron, I think you probably would not see those. Very interesting.
1: So you do brief- Yeah. You do you do briefing in like a what's it called a skiff like the those secret compartments where there can be no signals going in and
2: out not necessarily it just depends on the mission and the aircraft you okay. know there's some some missions are more classified than others i mean the average brief you're doing is not going to classify space but it it just depends uh, and i think the, the the growler has probably had some more Considerations than the Prowler did, but the, both of those missions, if you're starting to get into mission detail, you're not doing it in an open space, you know, where anyone can access it, uh, or you know, and it, we would do a briefing board, you know, with on a whiteboard, but you're not putting anything on there that shouldn't be there. That you know, if if the janitor could read it, then it's it's not going up there unless you can. You're in a secure space, yeah. uh, but you're also not briefing anything classified. Um, so any real combat mission is probably going to have classification stuff in it. So you wouldn't have your apple watch in there either. So I think if you look at a, um, a combat squadron, you're not going to see any communications device on their wrist for that reason. Interesting. But you will see, you'll see a lot of Garmins and, and, um, specifically the Garmins because they can do uh pressure or they can read your cabin altitude, uh, which is the equivalent altitude inside of the cockpit. Um, and so what that can do is they can give data to a flight surgeon. If you have an incident with your cabin pressure and you start feeling symptoms of, like, decompression, sickness, hypoxia, or anything like that, they could take that data and figure out that maybe your cabin system had fluctuations or whatever. And they can diagnose um, issues with the aircraft um, and and better treat you as well if they get that kind of data. I, and I had a decompression, rapid decompression in an aircraft was did not have one of those watches and i remember the first thing when i told a flight surgeon about it later on as the story he goes well did you have a garmin and i said no <laughs> he's like "Ah, oh, too bad you know because they just want the data yeah. um wow yeah and that resulted in a four and a half hour uh hyperbaric chamber experience that was not fun but it worked probably worth it wow <laughs> that's intense
1: i was gonna ask we, we got an interesting question uh you know we some um some listeners were wondering, uh, is, is having a watch actually a requirement? Is it a, could you, could you just say, I'm not going to wear anything? Uh, like, is it an actual uniform requirement to wear a watch, uh, in your specialty?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, now this is old school here that, but I do recall that it was a equipment required for flight. Um, so that was on the list of something that you had to have was a wristwatch. Now I never got issued any kind of watch um and everyone provides their own but i've i don't think i've ever seen anyone fly without one uh and i don't think anyone would conceive of that because simply when you're let's say you just you read the book you signed the discrepancy book for your aircraft and you know how, how do you get to the flight deck on time if you don't have a watch on right um on the carrier, it's it's the operations we do are very schedule based, mm. and uh, you don't want to be the guy that shows up 10 minutes late. You know, you're gonna have a check-in with your your fellow uh, aviators that are launching on that particular event, and uh, and everything is schedules based. So if if you didn't have a wristwatch on, you'd just be sort of lost. I think and winging it, and I don't think uh, I don't think that would work. So, but yeah, I mean, I've never I don't recall reading that any time recently, but I do remember that. Uh, From the old days that I I saw it somewhere that it was on the equipment required for flight list.
1: Mm. I'm just I'm I'm almost uh, overwhelmed at this point. There's just so much to consider um, uh, with your background. And I guess one thing that we can get into are. um, I guess some of the features that you look for in in a pilot's watch really or that would actually help through some of these situations that we've we've just talked about um features that might be uh, overlooked some features that aren't necessarily uh incorporated into watches uh maybe some watches today that are marketed as pilot watches that have features that are irrelevant um yeah so oh yeah if you have anything to say about that i'm sure you have oh thoughts. sure oh <laughs>
2: sure sure absolutely um yeah so i mean overall i'd say that the the list of features that you really need is probably small because the word need is is really subjective here and the need has has diminished with the quality of equipment that you're going to have in your airplane um also the need varies based on what your crew station is so if you are the pilot or the navigator um, and I like how the Germans call them Flieger watches, so just flyer. For those of us who aren't pilots, I know the, in America we tend to use the word pilot watch. But um, you know, a navigator is probably more likely to go heads down and fiddle around with a watch or a bezel or a chronograph than a pilot is, who hopefully has his hands on the controls and isn't taking them off to do some nitnoid timing stuff with his watch. Um, so, so the you know that need it's, it's all very subjective and it's very dependent on what you're doing. Are you flying a tanker overseas or are you flying a A-10, you know, locally, etc. But, uh, with that in mind, um, for me, I think the key, the absolute keys are that the watch is legible, that it's accurate and it's robust or rugged or whatever you want to use. So, um, the legibility piece is probably number one. And I think that the simpler the dial, the more legible it is. And, uh, this will go directly against the watches with the slide rule bezel. I, I think slide rule bezels are, are a product, I think, of civil aviation, private pilot aviation, like the old Breitling Navitimer they did for the AOPA. Um, it, it looks very piloty, but really, if, if you're going faster than a Cessna 172, you have no time for that thing. Um, and if you're operating something as a professional, you are trained not to do your calculations with a slide rule. Um, You know, we we learned tricks to simplify and and do our computations in our head really fast as far as things like, you know, hey, I've got this many miles to go. I'm going, you know, I'm going 420, you know, which is about, uh, you know, seven miles a minute. And then, okay, then divide and boom. And all of a sudden I look at my fuel flow and we would do tricks with the fuel flow. So I've got two engines at 3000 pounds per hour let's say just to make up a number and that's 6,000 pounds an hour but it's also 1,500 pounds in 15 minutes so if if I computed that it's you know I've got 14 minutes to go then I know I can can just look I can just chop one of my two fuel gauges in half or my fuel flow gauges in half and that's how much fuel I'll burn so you learn all these little tricks so that you're not sitting there like a human calculator but you're you're rounding and you're kind of using what we'd call like gouge numbers or whatever but you're quickly coming up with an answer because the aircraft At 420 or 480 knots is just much faster than 150, and you, if you find yourself what we call hanging on the vertical on the horizontal stab, right? Like you picture someone with their hands gripping the tail of the airplane. You know, like if you get behind your aircraft, you're you're done, because you'll just you'll uh, kind of spiral out of control. Your uh, situational awareness is like a bubble, and it will pop. Um, So in order. they teach you stay ahead of the airplane so you're you're already thinking about the thing that's coming up next and and if you if you're barely keeping pace with what's going on now you're going to be you know you're going to be in trouble and if you're behind you're absolutely in in very deep trouble um so that just goes back to that you know you don't have time for that slide rule bezel. Um, and really, if you're on let's say you're flying low level or something, it, whatever you're, whenever you're looking at your watch, the longer it takes you to get information off of it that you wanted, the worse off you are. Uh, now, a pilot and a fighter with a HUD is not looking at his watch for very much because he's got a uh, current time in UTC, and you know, he knows where the next turn point is and all that kind of information, so he doesn't need to look at it very often. Uh, but when you do, you've got to derive the information quickly and without error. Uh, and so that legibility is super important. Uh, the accuracy is super important because we do a lot of things synchronized off of a real uh, time. Uh, if your watch isn't that accurate, as long as it's accurate enough to get you in the seat, I suppose you can just transition to looking at your uh, HUD and the time that the aircraft is reading. But if that time is not correct and you don't know it because your watch was not correct, then what do you got? So you do need to be able to double check it. So i think that accuracy to me is important um and then the robustness is is huge and i think this one gets underestimated i've heard a lot of folks say like pilot watches don't need water resistance you're going up um as a naval aviator where i would not want to eject in the water and then suddenly not have functioning watch um but just showering and and all that kind of stuff Um, you know in afghanistan i'd wear my watch in the shower i mean i do a lot anyway but in I don't want to take it off because I want to keep up with the schedule, you know, like type I'm, you know, I want to know, I don't want to put it away. And so uh, just, you know, basic water resistance, uh, magnetic resistance, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's got to have all that. Uh, And the ship is, is, is pretty, you know, it's a bunch of steel. So magnetism is important on the ship. Um, So scratch resistance, I did not get the original navigator because it had, Acrylic crystal, and then when they came out with the uh, sapphire, I thought that was a huge win. Uh, so stuff like that, and, it, um, and really, if it's legible and it's it can w- take a beating, and you know, and it's accurate, then it's great. Now, then you can add, start talking about other features. Um, I think the navigator is a good watch to talk about with this, because this was a specification the Air Force produced, so you know it came from the right reasons, and they originally. Put the specification together, specifically thinking of long-range bomber crews that you'd be, you know, in that dark hole of your navigator's cockpit for seven, eight hours plus. Well, it turned out that after 9-11, us in small ejection seat aircraft were also doing seven-hour missions with multiple refuelings. So it all worked out pretty good for all of us, but they they wanted it to glow consistently and be legible even if it had been a very long time since you saw the sun. And that's very true for a lot of the missions I did. So that was huge. Um, they wanted to be, you know, a simple dial that's legible, but they wanted to add a little utility with the uh, second time zone. And I think second time zone is probably the most likely useful feature that a pilot watch today will have. And uh, The Navigator does it pretty neatly. I find that it's hard to read the traditional GMT, but, uh, you know, with a GMT hand, and if you think about it with, with the marathon style, if you adjust it to whatever conversion factor, you can look at any time in the future and convert it. You know, And I find that super useful when you're getting your weather brief. It's all in UTC. And so it says, hey, thunderstorms at 2100 Z. And you're like, well, what does that mean? You know, I'm taking off at 1600 local. Well, what time zone am I in? You just quickly look at your navigator and go, okay, well, at takeoff time, it's this and so wow the thunderstorms are a factor or not. And I, I liked I liked how it does that. Um it's and it's and by making it a feature that's on the bezel, then they, they don't clutter the dial at all. There's no ambiguity between the hour hand and the GMT hour hand and there's no confusion and I I think that's really well designed. And then they gave you the markings for elapsed minutes as well, so it's super useful. Um and one thing I used uh, my bezel for in combat operations was just marking the next refueling time just so we wouldn't lose track of when we're scheduled to rendezvous with the tanker. And I would just sort of look down out of the corner of and watch that minute hand get closer to the triangle, and I, you know, I would look at my nav and, and I had the next turn point as the refueling track center and would just go, okay, it's 10 minutes away, uh, and then as that minute hand gets close to 10 minutes away from the triangle, let's go refuel. So it was just like a, for me, just like a visual reminder to not screw up. Um, but I use that every time and I found that to be super helpful. So um, yeah, Marathon's built a lot of, uh, well, I mean, they didn't design it, give credit to the Air Force, but uh, they kept it really simple, um, yeah, but they did a really great job with it.
1: That's awesome. And I think uh, with the tritium tubes, that was preferable to something like uh, like a glowing screen did you say that with night vision, this was also a plus—the the tritium tubes, the way that they glowed?
2: Yeah. So with we wore night vision goggles a lot, and a lot of our platforms do too. So you have to be careful about—we uh, call it NVG compatible lighting. And so if you have incompatible lights, um, you know they they're, they're going to bloom and uh, kind of drown out and make your NVGs gain down, and so they'll just kind of mess with it so if you had a full screen like an indiglo kind of thing that could be bothersome and in the probably where we sat side by side if you had anything in the cockpit that was incompatible lighting uh your the person next to you would would go off you know turn that down you know whatever uh because you're now bothering two different people and it would reflect off the glass of your canopy and interfere with your vision outside and and so on so um something super bright with a like an indigo full screen kind of thing, I, mm-hmm. I um, would probably hesitate to to bring something like that if you're on NVGs.
1: Was there any Was there any other watch that I guess, uh, or would it be possible for a watch to interfere with, you know, besides night vision? Was there any other way for a watch to interfere with, you know, a component in the cockpit or something? Any kind of watches that you couldn't wear?
2: Um. Well, for n- not for me, but I know. There are certain aircraft where you can't wear something like the Apple Watch for the same reasons. Mm. Uh, but other than that, no. Um, for me personally, very large watches were—I I consider them a hindrance and a danger, um, mostly for ejection. There, I, I'd heard when I was a younger aviator a horror story of of uh, an aviator whose uh, watch got caught on the canopy rail on ejections. Oh, yeah. You know, side by side aircraft, there's a metal rail connecting the glass pieces above your head, right between you, you and the and the pilot. And I think his left wrist got to hit that rail on ejection. Um, it's hard to contain your arms during ejection, and a lot of people get injuries as the you know you're suddenly going 400 miles an hour. So think about putting your hand out of their, your car at 400 miles an hour. It can you know dislocate shoulders and stuff. And in his case, the watch. Uh, took off two of his fingers like, as it got ripped off his hand um, so and just the discomfort of uh, wearing the, the hockey puck style um, and It's a, it's to me it's a bit of a shame that for so long we had like a big watch fad but it looks like uh, things are going back to normal yeah. um, but I, I think that's kind of a myth you know like um, a Mark 11 was 36 millimeters back in the day and I don't think you need to make that 46 millimeters to make it any more legible um, and in, and, that, and once you, you know, and I know the Luftwaffe made them huge, uh, but they wore those on the outside of their flying gear. And, uh, you know, we've learned a lot since then. So I don't think we have to follow their example anymore. Um, but I think the big watches are just bulky and they get in the way. Um, and, you know, if your watch is the reason you get caught up trying to get out of the airplane in a fire or something, uh, you know, maybe it's too big. <laughs>
0: what about if i had like a not me but like an actual pilot with a a g-shock with like um uh atomic time where it gets the 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 signal ping from the radio tower whatever your like kind of local uh tower is would that be an issue at all or that's not really a big deal
2: i don't think so is that is that a one-way receiver or is it a transmitter that's a good
0: point i think it's just one way right mike you'd know more than I would. it's just receiving the signal from the tower
1: yeah it's receiving it and i think it receives it just once so i have the um i have the radio controlled uh i think 6900 or something like that mm-hmm. and it, it gets it gets that ping once uh like shortly after midnight every single day um so i think i think it's just one way it receives it that one time and it gets its update uh, and actually I'd be, uh, if it's I'd be nervous far,
2: about those um first i'll say this about g-shocks is before the Garmins, they were the most popular right. so every other watch would be one of those um and then every, and then the other it'd be 30 percent, you know just plain and simple timex or whatever and and then you'd have some citizens and like the skyhawk navahawk and i flew yeah. with a navahawk and loved it it was perfect and uh other than the bezel the slide rule bezel but i ignored <laughs> that. Um, yeah so you'll see you'll you'll definitely still see a ton of g shocks mm. um what I'd be worried about on the ship with its radars and stuff is interference, and I wouldn't trust that something wouldn't um interfere with that signal and and mess it up so that the watch started telling time wrong. I would wanna be in control of setting that time, yeah. And so I just wouldn't trust it personally, but I'm, I'm sure some folks have tried to maybe, uh, but I would imagine I would not be surprised whatsoever if someone tried to take one of those to a, a an aircraft carrier and had some trouble, but I don't know that I'm just, I'm theorizing, but calculating. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. That makes
1: it's sense. good. It's good to have that level of control. Cause you probably have a ton of timing sources that are reliable and you can just reference and, you know, hack your watch to.
2: Yeah, and sometimes they don't match each other and you're just picking one. Uh, but as long as you're synchronized with the people that you're talking to, you're good. Um, so,
1: I, I love that citizen that you have. Uh, shortly after our, our first chat, I just went on eBay tried to try to find those old, old Navihawks. And they can be tough to find in, in decent condition. Uh, and the new ones are just so, so dang big. Uh, I'd, I'd like to find an old one in, in good condition if, if I ever get the chance.
2: Yeah. They're big and busy. Yeah. Uh, and I just find them visual. You know, I, I, I think they are a good example of when you're really focused on creating something piloty for the public, but you've forgotten what makes it piloty for pilots. And it's a fine line because we all know that 98% of the consumers won't necessarily use it flying. But if you, if you want it to be authentic and genuine and, you know, it, then I think you, you have to stay close to that connection some cases, you know, and it's a shame that, uh, that, the, I mean, those NaviHawks are still useful. Uh, they've got a heck of a lot of features, but they just made them less useful by making them a bit too cluttered. I think,
1: mm. man, let's see. So Kaz, do you think we, you want to go through, um, that article we have on our site? See if, uh,
0: <laughs> we could do some, we could do some like quick hot takes on some of these. So, um, DJ, I don't know if you saw, but Mike and I put an article on the twobookwashknobs.com site where we just like list off the best or what we thought were the best pilot watches, which I find fantastically ironic because Michael and I are not pilots. Nope. Um, (laughs) So uh, it would be interesting just to get your thoughts on air in real time for some of those choices Um, up on my... Unless, Michael, do you
1: have it up in front of you now? I did. I I have it in front of me. I did also drop it in our chat. And TJ, we looked at it a little bit. Uh, yeah. On our first call, I did have, I had stuff like the, um, you know, the Casio F91, the little, little fifteen dollar uh, Casio. Although, actually, I do have that, that radio control G Shock up here. So we did get some, some feed, feedback
0: on that watch. Um, it just got just got cut from the list. <laughs> right.
2: Well, maybe not. I mean, it depends, right? If you're an airline yeah. pilot. Uh, it might be perfect.
0: Oh, that's true. I, 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 I guess the interesting thing to keep in mind is the, the, the variations of what kind of pilots we're talking about, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. That's
0: a really good point. We have, uh, a
1: San, we have a San Martin here, just the Type A dial. You, you said you had a, or do you have a San Martin?
2: I do. I, I have the, what they call the D dial, which is mm-hmm. essentially the Mark 11 dial. Nice. And they did a great job with it.
0: I was surprised. I reviewed this San Martin and because um, I've reviewed other sort of like watches that are um, coming from Asia and they'll just kind of be um, random manufacturers. And I had a conception of what it was going to be. I was actually really impressed with the quality on that thing. For like 100 bucks. I think it was 100, 120 bucks, 150 bucks, something like that. So that's pretty wild. I didn't realize you had one of these too, TJ. Yeah, the, oh, yeah. The, uh, I the love D it. Dial. That's cool.
2: I like the D-Dial. I like the crosshair uh, mm. configuration of that and then some folks like oh i wish they'd loomed all the hours and at first i was i thought yeah it'd be tough to tell the time if the hour or minutes are in between but it's really not Um uh, and i really like that orientation whereas with the type a and i had a type a stove i still have it i'm you know sort of set it aside but in like four o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning when i look at the dial the triangle with the two dots just looks like another numeral just like the 11 and i can't oh, tell which Yeah. Like my brain, I would just be off by an hour quite often. (laughs) And the fact that the every single hour index is the same size, like I wish they made the three, six, nine, like thicker or something. So that's the trouble I had with, with the A dial. And I, I think that's, if you look at the Luftwaffe's B dial, they seem to have corrected a lot of that and they do offer larger bars at three, six and nine. And so they, they, have offered some more things to help you break it out, and I also like the fact that they, like the uh, Rolex Air King, when you have some of the minutes on your dial, like fifty-five, fifty, and so on, rather than just hours, because with an analog dial, that's a common mistake that I I make. I find myself setting my watch and then realizing it's five minutes off because I set it for, whatever, like four twenty-three instead of four twenty-eight. I'm just five nice. minutes off, and and so when. um, reading it accurately when you have the the minutes printed on there is pretty nice. So this is one of those little details that not every watch has it, but when I see it, I like it.
0: That's actually pretty interesting. So the, 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 that kind of ties into something about the next watch that's on here. Um, we just picked like those super generic Seiko five SNK kind of fieldy type watches where it has the, um, minutes on the outside and then the yeah. hours on the inside. But I was, I was thinking about the comment you made earlier in regards to, um, accuracy but also really legibility especially on the fly what's the sweet spot between a watch that's not too big so it's dangerous but also big enough to be legible you know what i mean
2: yeah for me it's about 40 or so nice. um yeah. yeah 36 a bit small for me just it's probably legible but i just i don't want to look dainty either you know <laughs> um it just doesn't fit me uh, so you know 42 seems to be popular for because my wrists are a little below average in size mm-hmm. um and we're so we're looking at the seiko 5 right and yep some great things about it. Um, I like the fact that it has the day of the week because when you're on deployment, every day is the same. But like the ship will have like a pizza Saturday or when I was in Afghanistan, there were certain days where like the child hall had barbecue or whatever. And so and you don't really know one day from another because they're all the same. So that was that would be the only way you knew. So oh. big plus on that. And then uh, I I do love that they took that Luftwaffe B dial with the hours inside. That's cool. But if you look at the minute hand, it's short. Um, And that's one of my pet peeves, is when it doesn't quite reach the markers, or it's so thick that it covers them up, it takes you longer to read the minutes. So I I can tell, looking at this real slow, that it's 56 on your photo. But uh, if you were in Gs and in turbulence, you'd you'd be struggling with that a little. And if it was just, you know, if it was just long enough to reach, you know, that's, probably one of my biggest pet peeves is is that short minute hand citizen does it all the time
0: that's the most interesting thing i'm gleaning from the conversation is that there's legibility and then there's legibility in the moment like yeah i could read the time on the seiko snk at like a red light but probably not when i'm you know in an aircraft or like under under really really heavy speeds you know what i mean so that's actually really interesting
2: yeah, when you're maneuvering around, it's hard enough to lift your wrist at, you know, 3 or 4G or whatever, but then, you know, you're not holding it still. Right. So it's, uh yeah, it's got to be, you know, completely clear where that hand sits, and that's why I, li- I like the syringe-style uh, hand on the Navigator. It's pretty clear where it sits. Yeah, so that's kind of the commentary on that Seiko. I like what they did with the update to it
0: yeah they definitely it's, it's funny hearing you talking about them and thinking about the new ones now i'm like oh yeah the hands are a little bit beefier it seems like some of the uh markers on the dial are a little bit bolder like it does actually seem um more legible and i think it's even larger mike do you do you remember uh, yeah the it's new bigger yeah. i think
1: it's a i think it's a 40 now and they're there go. they're perfect, pretty yeah. they're coming out with some good some cool dials I, I wasn't a fan of the first run but there's there's some nice ones now was one of the was
0: there like a hot orange in the first run you didn't like the hot orange Michael <laughs> There they were
2: weird ones like lasagna
0: I, orange I can't remember uh, what it was
2: <laughs> I remember that yep. <laughs> uh
0: what else is on here oh uh, I see Mike you picked this um citizen um Avignon uh Baird TV Devs contributor, contributor Extraordinaire reviewed this watch um kind of a similar similar dial or dial layout kind of to the Sego a little bit different is it this one's i think a little bit larger this one's much larger 45 yeah. millimeters Whew. yeah that's a big there's there's another 45
1: on there which is the bull of uh, the lunar pilot uh it's kind oh, of a yeah.
0: speed bastard type of watch your secret um, darling you're, you're not so secret darling well you know
1: we're talking about big watches that one is actually supposed to come down to 40 oh,
2: know, that's right. something around that um but they're making a new one that's smaller.
1: Yep, and we're supposed to get a smaller one pretty soon, and that's I, I find that pretty attractive because that's still one of the most accurate watches I've ever owned. Was that that Lunar Pilot?
2: That sounds awesome to me. If that's and I would get it in PVD, I think. But uh, either way, I'd be I'd be all over it. Yeah. Um, if that dial, so if we're looking at the Bulova now. Mm-hmm. If the if you're counting elapsed minutes on that dial at uh, sub dial at nine o'clock. That'd be a bit challenging, but uh, oh yeah, I can't tell if that's four. It's probably four. I don't know. That one's tough. So I'm a big fan of a 30-minute register. It's just easier, like in the Speedmasters. It's a lot easier to read.
1: Let me make sure I'm not wrong on this. I think I actually think it's going to be a 43 or 42. Either way, it's supposed to be smaller. Yeah, we might be getting it.
0: but wait, my goal is nice. it going to be 40, 42 or 43. Those are four very <laughs> different sizes.
2: All an improvement though. <laughs> there are they are they all are That's smaller than 44 yeah. or 45 That's whatever. Fine. Let's
0: see. <laughs> ah, it's going to be somewhere between 41 and 45 or 41 and 40, I guess. Yeah, or whatever, Okay, guess. that'd be great. Well, as
2: long as they don't make the lug width 18, that would, you know, keep, that you, would kill keep it the 40? 20 43 it would, it would.
1: Forty three. Yeah. That's that's the word on the street. Forty three. I just so found so we're out. losing two millimeters.
2: All right, that's that's yeah, an improvement. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I might deal go for that. it still. I can deal with that.
0: Oh, Mike, you got these Gravity Masters on here. These G Shock. Man, these things are huge.
1: They're very big. Yeah.
0: The uh, newest GRB two hundred fifty four millimeters, sixty three lug to lug, eighteen millimeters thick. That's a lot of watch. Yeah. The hockey puck.
2: Yep, exactly. <laughs> I'll just skip right by that. I think that's Let's impractical. Let's just skip that one. Well, because we, I, when you put on your your harness, to, you know that connects to the ejection seat. You mm-hmm. just get that thing caught every time. Oh, so You'd have to take it off and put it back on. That's a pain. Uh, we got the
0: Nighthawk on here. We were talking about that. Um, and this was a, this is an example of it. Just too, it's just too busy to be
2: practical, right, TJ? Well, no, because I can on this one. the The indices and in the hands are so legible that the outside is almost irrelevant. But mm. what I find troubling here is that the hands are really thick and they don't need to be, and they're going to cover up the the little in- indicators for oh, the yeah. time zone. So a lot of times you'll look down and you won't be able to see that little uh, airplane-looking arrow that tells you right now that it's 11. It's, uh, so I like what they did see. with the configuration, but they needed skinnier uh, hands so that you don't lose that. right. Yeah, and then they can, you know. Yeah, it'd be awesome if they had a uh, like a, t- a twelve-hour sliding scale for like a navigator does on the outside, mm. or a lapse time or something. But uh yeah, I-, I would still wear this if they could fix that issue with you can't read the UTC time.
0: That's a good point. The next one here on here, these are like novelty watches. You ever see these Av8 uh, timepieces, DJ?
2: Yeah, I've seen them. I always keep looking and f- for them to make something that's. uh normal sized and stuff
0: Yeah, these are big
2: so yeah i, I don't know um yeah I'll, I'll i'm interested in what they're doing but i haven't yet found a watch that was simple and legible and yeah and just cool looking and, and had it you know and it was a decent size so
0: yeah because yeah. these these ones these are the uh hawker harriers i think they're on the hawker harrier too this thing is 44 millimeters diameter 52.5 lug to lug too big looks kind of cool but a little too big
2: yeah definitely agree with you on that
0: lunar pilot we talked about here that was such a cool watch oh the seiko 5 gmt series michael that's right forgot you put these on here
1: yeah that that's a pretty popular choice uh for this year i think um
0: and this made the list specifically because of the the, the gmt function like the gmt yep. hand
2: yeah, yeah. i think and i think that's fair you know like the uh, original Rolex GMT. Mm-hmm. And I, I I know pilots that uh, have Rolex GMTs. My brother has one. He's an Army officer, but it was super useful for him. Uh, he got it before they made the cases more chunky. So it looks That's really cool. Um, so, yeah, having, um, having that second time zone. You know, there's really two extra things your watch can do. If it's analog, it's either going to tell you a second time zone or it's going to have elapsed time. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think probably in the older days in the 60s you you know if you were a, a navigator like me you'd you'd insist on the chrono uh, but nowadays with all the stuff your aircraft can do this will be the GMT's kind of slid in the first place as more convenient i guess more useful not right. that you can't do the math in your head and and figure out but if you know if you're flying across the states and you're going to get fuel in New Orleans and then continue to Key West you know like we would do for training now there's, you know, you got your time zone at your home field, the time zone, and, and you're looking in all these pubs about like, hey, when do we have to land by? And uh, we had rules about trying to land before sunset because you've never been to that field and things. And so, you know, now you're keeping track of multiple time zones. So having having a watch that can do math for you like that, keep you from making a mistake is pretty yeah. nice.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I can't really do like money change math at the drive-through. So I'll, I would definitely have to rely on my tools <laughs> if I were in a situation so
2: yeah and then some of those you can uh like the i think it's sangin's got a k2 Mm -hmm. where it's three time zones and so one for where you're at one for utc and one for your family so that when you can make you know facetime calls with them that sort of thing whatever you know whatever it's it's kind of cool i think that watch they did in consultation with a lot of different aviators and and i think they hit that one really nicely
0: uh, what's how much time? Okay, good. I'm not, I'm, we're, we still have a little bit of time. I will like make sure I don't go over time. Michael, what's next on the list? Um, let's see. I just, uh, Laco, so Laco Aachen 2 or 42. I don't know how to say it. Laco Aachen 42. Yeah, yeah that, that sounds right. That sounds about right. Um, I don't know. That's Germany. another,
1: that's another type B and, uh,
0: Laco, I recommend to folks pretty often. If someone really wants something that's like potentially legacy lift-a-waffa, sort of, maybe even like the iconic Type B dial, in terms of the price point, probably one of the better brands to get into, it, especially one with all the, the 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 history and everything like that. So makes sense that they're on the list as well. I want to yep. hear
1: what he thinks about the Gavox Avidiver.
0: Mm.
2: That's a fun watch. I love that watch. <laughs> so it's a bit big for me, but mm. I really like it. And one of my friends I flew with in Afghanistan, who's commanding a squadron now, asked me, hey, do you know the guy from Gavox? I said, yeah, I, I, you know, I've connected with him on Instagram or whatever. And he's like, can you help me reach him? We want to do a squadron buy. Nice. Uh, so they're putting together a custom order uh, with their squadron logo and stuff for, for this exact watch. And I think or maybe the GMT version is what he asked for. Ooh. So, um, so that's definitely pretty awesome. That's so cool. Uh, I don't like the fact personally that it's uh, automatic, and I know I'm a heretic, um, but in the watch world, but for a deployment watch, I, I want, you know, my grail is an automatic. It's it's an heirloom, right? It's it's allows me to be fascinated with mechanical things, but for my deploying flying, which sadly I'm not doing anymore, but if I were, then I would probably opt for something quartz for the simplicity and convenience and accuracy and the fact that it's sort of you don't need to worry about it. That makes um, perfect
0: sense. Yeah. yeah.
2: But I think uh, my buddy is looking to get these for his or not as, hey, day-to-day flying necessarily. I'm, I'm sure some of them will, but as something to keep forever to remember their tour. And I think in that case, he's chosen a great piece.
0: Oh, yeah. Nice.
2: Yep. Uh, let
0: me think. Michael, I'm just conscious of the time. What else on the list you think would be cool to bring up? You you jumped to the Gavox. that thing is awesome.
1: I think the and I'm this is also selfish because I just got it back in the collection. This uh <laughs> this CWC the Mellor, the oh, seventy two. Yeah. yeah, that's that's like an RAF design also.
2: Yep. I love C W C now the, the this particular design, I, I struggle to read it because of the I guess the clutter in that railroad track, mm-hmm. like for me, I wouldn't want the uh, the two concentric outer and inner circle that surround the minute indices. And uh, I find it just hard to break out. And so I don't know why the REF switched to this. I, I know one of the things they were doing is they were saving money by creating a all-arounder watch for ground forces and air forces. But, you know, the Mark 11 didn't have those that railroad track. And then... Now, the general issue RAF watch does because it's common with the ground forces, but I think it's just harder to read. So I don't understand that one. I think it looks awesome, that railroad track, but I, I did get a watch that had it, and I really had a hard time breaking out where that minute hand was sitting.
1: Yeah, that's a good um, point. They have the, It's the same watch, and it's called W10 for the Army and then 6BB for the Air Force, but it's the same yep. watch.
2: Yeah, and so back then, pilots got this, and if you were a navigator, you got the chronograph. Mm. Um, And then a lot of single-seat pilots said, hey, I I am my own navigator, and they were trying to get the chronographs for themselves. And, and of course, in the U.S., we got the same watch as the infantry also, the GGW-113, Hamilton-style. Different kind of dial, but it was also common. So I think both Air Forces were trying to cut back in that time in the same way. And you don't see any photos from the Vietnam era of any pilots wearing that mm-hmm. or navs. They're all buying Speedmasters and uh, speed timers from Seiko, uh, whatever they could get. Or um, like the Glycine, I think it was, no, the, uh, I don't know who made the Airman. I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the company, but uh, the 24-hour watches or the double 12s, yep. I think that's, you know. So they were they were looking for something more than just the plain and simple Um but plain and simple is good sometimes too. So I, I'm a fan of these CWCs. Again, it's just a unique thing for me that I struggle with that uh, that railroad track. But I love how they have different marks at three, six, and nine and twelve, and they have that triangle. Like to me, that's awesome. I, I love that orientation. Nice. Yeah.
0: I think I think those are the I think those are the big hits from the list. I don't think we did too too bad on here, Mike. But we probably got some stuff to maybe
1: edit or add do we yeah,
0: do anything yeah we can we can add we can adjust um
1: uh this this list will evolve as as time goes on i i am i am wondering as we as we get get closer to the end here um do you, does one watch kind of stand out as the one that you wore the most throughout your your career
2: well oh, that's a good point i think I think I'd have to give it to the uh, Citizen Navajo as the kind of the one that I, not necessarily wore the most uh, in terms of chunks of time, but that I interacted with the most when I wore it. Mm. Because in Afghanistan the time zone is is uh, four and a half, so that's weird already. But uh, you can program, uh, it's a bit complex, but you can program the Navitimer to show you different things, and you know you can set it. So basically, I tricked it into giving me local Afghanistan time on my little UTC dial and kept the hands on UTC because that's what my squadron was basing everything off of. So I sort of flipped it backwards. Um, but yet quickly switching back and forth between stopwatch or whatever. So I, I use that a lot. Um, I guess afterwards I, I got into a more simple mindset you know, and and I like the fact that I can actuate a analog chronograph without looking down and cycling through modes, which I had to do with the Navaho. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like no matter what you choose, you're going to have a, a, an upside and a downside. And uh, so I ended my career really pre- uh, preferring simple and analog. But uh, I, I think, yeah, I think it gets sort of like the number one tool watch award for me. Um, maybe if it had fixed spring bars, it would have been you know. The unbeatable—that's the feature that I think is also pretty underestimated. But uh, I always wore Natos even before they were cool. I know I have mm-hmm. a documented image of me wearing one in 2009. <laughs> so uh, they weren't very—I had to order them from Australia. Oh wow! Um, they were—they were pretty rare at the time. It's amazing how they've grown, but they're amazing. And uh, you know, people talk about how they pop spring bars. They kind of do, but they were designed for fixed spring bars, which I think is something I really like and the, uh the, and the navigator has that and the old mark 11 had that so just a plug for fixed spring bars there at the end
1: yeah <laughs> and i was also going to ask about the grail watch but it sounds like you have it already
2: yeah i do and i uh i really don't look in that segment anymore i mean i do i keep up but it's nice to not feel the pressure you know what i mean like it's just sheer curiosity that has me looking there um you know, maybe one day. I, I still love the Speedmaster, and I like what they did with the update and everything. But, um, no, I'm I'm super happy. I, I took a risk. I didn't know if the old radium loom would be bright enough for me because I really want to be able to wake up at 4 in the morning and read the time. So the first night I took this thing, you know, and wore it to bed, I woke up at 4, and I was like, yes, I can read it. I, I was <laughs> thrilled. Um, I didn't know how accurate it would be. and cause It's the Salita you know movement and it's uh minus two seconds a day and it's been consistent so that part of it was awesome uh and so really everything that i you know was worried about like hey you know let's take a chance but i really don't know turned out to be great so um it's really cool that it exceeded expectations and now that i got it on this bracelet the i don't understand why this ratcheting mechanism is not more popular because i'm just you know like every watch guy i'm picky and I, I want that perfect fit, and I end up adjusting this thing two, three times a day, but almost subconsciously, I'll just click it and, and move it around. Uh, and I don't think I I could wear a steel bracelet if it didn't have that. So I think it's genius. Awesome.
1: I'm curious, do you do any uh, recreational flying these days now and after retirement?
2: I don't, I thought about it, and part of me really wants to do it. Uh, right now I just end up watching youtube videos of people that are learning to fly um but i i don't know um kind of look i i don't know if i trust the safety of those little airplanes and my kids are 13 and 12 and i feel like i got lucky to have survived <laughs> my tour and had some near calls and I, I think i owe it to them to not do that anymore i that's don't know a, that's fair i'll enough. keep thinking about it but yeah. uh yeah i've sort of like beat cheated death a few times i i can't keep taking chances
1: yeah, some of those skyhawks at the these flight schools are getting pretty old. <laughs> I'm surprised.
2: I have a my oldest really wants to be a pilot and you know, he's looking at Emory Riddle and uh FIT and schools that have their own aviation program and mm-hmm. I thought, wow, I I wish I knew about programs like that when I was your age. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and there's some scholarships and things for kids in high school to get their pilot's license and part of me is super scared because he's my son and I don't want him to get hurt. Uh, but I'm not going to be able to say no to him because he knows I did it and he knows it was my dream. And so I'm just going to have to tell mom to let him do it. You know, that's going to be his choice anyway. We don't, you know, let's be real, but it's kind of neat to see that he's got those aspirations.
1: Very cool. Well, Kaz, I don't know. I think that was, that was was awesome. Good. Um, Yeah.
0: That was a ton of fun.
1: I don't know if I missed anything or yeah, we had, we had a lot for, for an episode, but I think we covered quite a bit. And I think yes. folks, folks will enjoy this one. Yeah, see, we awesome. appreciate
0: the time, TJ. We'll definitely have to have you back. So cool. Yeah,
2: yeah. there's a, a few things we could cover. Um, you know, I didn't go into a lot of details about Dead Reckoning or flying with a watch on low levels. And mm. some of those little details are definitely pet peeves and um, uh, you name it. I, there was a fact versus fiction discussion that um, we didn't get to, although we kind of addressed some of that stuff uh but yeah i i i'm passionate about both topics and they're I, you know for me watches are the ability to express and capture what i feel about aviation in an object you know it's like buying merch when you go to universal for your favorite superhero or whatever like i the watch is the merch of aviation it's the the thing that i you know my souvenir you know it's what i connect with so um, cool you know and so um and that's why I'm passionate to do things like our discussion. Cause I just love it. Um, and there's, there's so many times that I think, uh, things don't go the right way in terms of the decisions that companies make. And, and it's sometimes it's just feels like such a shame, you know, when they ignore the principles, they think they're supporting. It's frustrating. So it's good to, it's good to have these shows and hopefully some of those designers listen. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: We'll, we'll definitely have to do a part two. I think, uh, if, if you'll be willing to come back. Uh, um, yeah,
2: absolutely. Well, see what kind of feedback you get. If people say it's a snoozer, then, oh, then we'll gonna, skip people it. People are right? going to love
0: it. People are going to love this. This is a ton of fun. And, uh, yeah. And hey. then, yeah, we'll, we'll
1: close out and then we'll, we'll hang out shortly after just to, just to chat. But, um, you yeah, know, I think, I think this was great. Thanks for coming on.
2: Sure. Yeah. And then let me know what to do with the recording and all that stuff. Oh yeah.
1: We'll, we'll get to that. Okay. All right, Kaz. Anything, anything else for the people?
0: No, oh, I think it's, I think it's that sad time. We should say goodbye. Let everyone get back to their days.
1: All so, right. Thanks for listening, everyone. My
0: name is Mike. This is Kaz. You have been listening to Two Broke Washknobs. Later.